You are listening to Pastor Fred Neal III of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Leading Both Halves of the Christian Life, recorded on March 18, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Fred as he preaches. Before I get into the sermon, I want to do a quick uh, little shameless plug, as I was accused of of earlier, for the youth mission trip happening this uh, summer, uh, June 24th through the 30th. You'll see it inside your brochure. Uh, It is to Newark, New Jersey, which is just uh, across the river from New York City, uh, to World Impact, which is a ministry that we've partnered with several times. We've taken several trips out there. Uh, This is for students who are in seventh grade or older, even some students, uh, if you're in college or college age and you'd like to participate, uh, we'd invite you to come along as well. And this, let me just tell you, this is a great trip. It's it's one of my favorite trips because the place that we stay and just the atmosphere of being together and some of the ministry opportunities that we get into are fantastic and, and really creates a great opportunity just to make some good memories together, build some good relationships. And I would say, especially any of you students who are in here, if you've never been on a mission trip, uh, just give us a chance. Let us perhaps change your mind about what that might look like because this is a great opportunity, one, to explore your faith, and to think about, think deeply on some of the things that perhaps you've been taught over the years if you've been going to church for a while, or maybe some of the things if you're new to church you're just being introduced into, and to give you an opportunity just to wrestle with that and think that through without anybody putting a lot of pressure on you, but just giving you the opportunity to just think about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to grow in that, hopefully, which is a great part of the trip, but then to just get outside of yourself, you know, it's, it's so natural to us to become selfish and to just sort of focus on what we want and what we like to do and to be in control of our schedule, especially if you're, if you're a student and it's summertime, you're like, that's my time. That's great. You, you have lots of time throughout the summer for, for the things that you want to do. But I think you'll find it really exciting and a lot of fun to just get, out of, get outside of yourself for a week and just, just go out and serve and maybe interact with some people um, that, that need your help more than you would imagine. Some people maybe who are less fortunate than you or who just needed you to come into their lives for that week. And so this is a cool opportunity. It's a really cheap trip, parents. Um, it's $250 per student, but if you get your application and a $50 deposit in by the end of this month, uh, there's a $50 scholarship. So that brings it down to $200. If you have students in seventh grade or older, you know it costs more than $200 to keep them at the house for a week. And so this is an opportunity to save some money and get them out. We'll feed them and take care of them and give them a great experience. So I would encourage you if you have any questions about that, to, to reach out to uh, myself, or which uh, I think my email address is in the brochure this week, or your campus pastor and get connected to this mission trip. We're going to have a blast. We're going to serve Jesus, and we're going to have fun doing it, and it's going to be a great trip. So, uh, and that's also Scott Rising from the Indiana campus is going to be uh, helping lead that trip too. And Scott's just a really fun guy to be around and to serve the Lord with. So going to be a good time. I hope that you'll check that out and uh, give that some thought. All right, with that said, I want to get into the message. You know, people like a good mantra, a good motto, a good saying to kind of help them uh, identify with a group of people in a mission. And some examples of that, I think, that have, that have kind of motivated people from history are perhaps you, you'll, you'll find these words familiar and know who they came from. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Who said that? JFK, right? That was during his inaugural address. And that motivated the country. That, that gave us something to, to rally behind and, and pointed people in the same direction. Dave Ramsey, who's a, a Christian financial teacher, has motivated millions of people to live as good stewards with his saying, live like no one else, so later you can live like no one else. And that, that saying, that mantra inspires people. It gives you a goal. It gives you focus to your actions and to, to what you're doing and points you in the right direction. In 2008, when my daughter was born with a brain injury, 
and we were kind of exploring some different options for her life and how to, how to help her succeed as much as she possibly could and looking at some different therapies, we were introduced to a place in Philadelphia called the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. I know it's kind of a mouthful. But what we, what we found at the Institutes, as, as we kind of shortened it up and everybody just called it the Institutes, what we found was a leader who was inspiring hundreds and, and even at times thousands of families who had brain-injured children with a mantra that he, that he took from serving during World War II in Patton's Third Army. They actually fought in the Battle of the Bulge. And he said when he was in, World War, uh, in the Army in World War II, their mantra was, we never leave our wounded behind. And he came back from World War II and he, he, he gave his whole life to helping children who had suffered traumatic brain injuries achieve more and accomplish more and grow and develop. And that was kind of his mantra for the families who came to learn from him was that we never leave our wounded behind, meaning our children who weren't developing the way other children were. And, you know, that became our rallying cry as a family, when we, when we looked at our daughter who was not keeping up, who wasn't, who wasn't keeping pace with her siblings, we, we rallied around that mantra that we're never going to leave our wounded behind. We're going to do everything we can to pull her along with us and to help her succeed as much as she possibly can. And so that became sort of our mantra for a while. Well, and, and by the way, that's not a bad mantra for the church because a lot of, a lot of people end up wounded in the church too. And we need to be a loving community that's committed to not leaving our wounded behind, but to help them grow through that woundedness and to be healed and made whole. But we need some mantras like this for Christian living. And I want to present one to you today that I think we're going to see fleshed out as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And we'll read that in just a moment. But the mantra that I want to point us to today is simply this. Know the word, live the word. Know the word, live the word. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4 together. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 11, of course, this is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, a, a fellow church leader, uh, Timothy, who Paul had been very in, influential in helping Timothy come to faith and grow in the faith and, and put him into pastoral leadership. And he says this to Timothy, he says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Perhaps we could sum that up by saying there are two, there are two things to, to Paul's statement here in these verses. Know the word and live the word. In fact, if you have your, your message application points out, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start filling in some blanks right now. The first thing you'll see there is that there are two halves to living a Christian life. Knowing the word of God and applying it. Church leaders, of course, must attend to both in public and in private. That means that the, the leaders of the church are responsible for both helping the members of the church know and live the word, and then for themselves to know and live the word. And so there, we see these two halves to living a Christian life, knowing the word of God and applying it. James 1.22 tells us something very similar where James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, which would be to deceive yourself. He says, if, if, you're, if you're only a hearer of the word, then you're in deception. But if you are doers of the word and hearers of the word, then you are living the Christian life. 
James encourages the believer to have these two li- these two halves, I'm sorry, of their daily Christian life. Hear the word, then do it. Neither half of this of the Christian life is expendable. We cannot limit ourselves to one or the other. We cannot say, well, I love, I love to hear the word. I love to, to study the word. I love to get in, dig in and know the word, but I'm not real big on applying it. And we can't, we can't rest on saying, well, you know, I don't know a lot of theology. I'm not real into studying the Bible, but I try to do good things. The Bible calls us to both, and neither half is expendable. Some people don't know the word very well, but boast of their good deeds. This is not the complete Christian life. Some know the Bible inside and out, but fail to obey even the simplest commands of Scripture. And so James marries both halves when he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. In other words, know the word, live the word. That's what we're called to as Christians. This is most of all, First of all, true for leaders in the church. The church simply cannot afford to have leaders who neglect either side of this equation. I think, I think when you have leaders in the church who, who focus on one to the neglect of the other, whichever side it is that they focus on and whichever side it is of that equation that they neglect, you're going to have an unhealthy church. Leaders must do both, and they must teach the people that they're leading to do both. So let's look at this passage verse by verse. We want to we pick this apart together. Verse 11, let's go back and look. Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. He says, command and teach. Stop and think with me for a moment what it, what it means to command and teach. What's the difference between commanding and teaching and just teaching or just commanding? Well, I think teaching has the aim of transferring knowledge. Teaching has the goal of getting some information to you. Whereas command has the aim of transforming behavior. When you command someone with something, you want them to act differently. You want, them to, you want them to respond by changing their behavior. And so Paul is telling Timothy to lead people to know the word and live the word. He says, we've got to do both in the church. And he's, he's going to point Timothy in just a moment to do this for himself But it's very important that we stop and note here that that's the role of leaders within the church. We're not just here to tell you what the Bible says. There is is a level at which we're here to command. We're here to exhort you. We're here to challenge you. We're here to ask you to engage your brain, what we're giving you as knowledge with your behavior, and to change what you're doing. And some people don't like that when they come to church. Some people don't want to be encouraged to change their behavior. They just simply want to receive information. And that's one of the challenges of being a leader in the church. And certainly how we present that and how we come across has a, can have a, a huge influence on that. And I think it's, it's good for leaders to think about how they go about doing that. But leaders in the church have this sort of twofold ministry of not only teaching truth, but exhorting people and then coming alongside of them to help them live the truth. Not simply just to know the truth, but to help them live the truth. Paul says, command and teach these things. And so I guess I just, I just want to challenge you to stretch your thinking a little bit. Are you here today just to, to hear information Or are you open to the possibility that somebody might stand up and ask you to change your behavior? Are you open to the possibility that God maybe wants you not to just receive knowledge, but to actually change the way you live your life? Because that is the Christian life. To know the word and to live the word. Verse 12 says, let no one despise you for your youth, but... Set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, 
and love and faith and purity. Boy, this is thick. This is good. This is good stuff here. This, this, would, be, this would be a nice sermon in and of itself. But first, let me just clear up a common misconception because a lot of people think because Paul said this to Timothy, Timothy was, was, must have been really young. But we know contextually that, that well, nobody knows exactly how old Timothy is. And I don't, I don't know if anybody can make a real great guess either. But the people who make educated guesses say that Timothy's actually at this point probably in his 30s. Maybe even some would, some would guess based on, based on doing some historical math, maybe even into his 40s. And so Timothy's not a teenager. You know, a lot of times we, we, we share this as uh, a verse for teenagers to listen to or, or, or perhaps young adults. That's, that's not what Paul's saying here at all. Timothy's a grown man, but he's a leader in a church. And as a leader in a church, he's tasked with commanding people who are sometimes 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years older than him. And so he says, don't, don't let them look down on you because of your youth, because you're younger, because, because they've got 20 or 30 years on you. But instead, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You see, here's the reality is that spiritual maturity is a must in a church leader. You don't have to be the oldest, oldest person in the church to lead. You shouldn't have to be the oldest person in the church to lead. But you need to, do need to be spiritually mature. And a lot of times there's a big difference between growing older and growing more mature. You don't necessarily grow more spiritually mature as you grow older. That takes effort. That takes discipline, as we talked about last week. That takes the pursuit of godliness but, but the, fact, the fact is that Paul doesn't want to let Timothy off the hook just because he's younger. You know, maybe Timothy had expressed to Paul his difficulty in leading folks that are older than him. Or maybe this was just a weakness that Paul was aware of in Timothy that he shied away from commanding. He shied away from exhorting those who were older than him. Maybe he was real good at working with the younger generation and, and exhorting them and commanding them, but when it got to people who had a little bit of time on him, he, he got a little nervous or got sh- shy. And Paul says the solution is to, to this is, well, first of all, don't let them despise you because you're younger, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Show them you're a leader by your spiritual maturity. Show them that God has put you in the right place by living out the Christian life in front of them. Some churches put people into leadership because of their age. They only put people into leadership who are, who are older or of a certain age. Some people put churches in a leadership position because of their family affiliations. Some people put... Some churches put people in leadership because of their success in, in things other than spiritual leadership. Oh, you, you're successful in the business world, or, or you're successful at that, or you're successful at this. We'll make you a leader in the church. When the biblical qualification for leadership within the church is always spiritual maturity. Not your age, and, and not your family affiliations, and not your success at other things, but spiritual maturity. And so Paul brings Timothy back to that. He says, set the believers an example. And even though he's not necessarily speaking this to, to what we would all consider a, a young man, nevertheless, there's nothing here that all believers aren't called to excel in. And isn't it ex- especially encouraging when the young people of the church pursue setting an example for other believers. And so I, I want to exhort the young people in the room. Don't let anybody in this church look down on you because of your youth. But set the believers an example. Not out of pride, but out of, in humility. Set an example for those who are older than you Cause them to look at your example of spiritual maturity and want to grow and want to do better. Cause them to step back and look in the mirror and say, you know what, I think I've gotten a, a little bit spiritually cold over the years. 
I don't have that same fervency and that, that, or that same fervent pursuit of godliness that I had when I was younger. Let your example inspire them toward godliness. This is what God calls all young people to do, to set an example. I, I remember getting saved as a teenager and coming. And, oh, I went to two different churches. And one, the first church I went to, uh, all, of the, all of the teenagers, all my peers, sat in the back row of the balcony. They got as far away from what was going on as they possibly could. And then a little, sometime after that, I went to another church, and I was shocked to find all of the teenagers were sitting in the front two rows, sitting right down front with hands raised during worship, praying, seeking the Lord. And that was an example I wanted to follow. And I think that was an example that a lot of other people in the church wanted to follow. I think the older folks said, I want to be fervent like that. I may not be as young as they are, but I want to, I want to be as spiritually passionate as they are. And so young people, set an example in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in faith, in purity. Let's move on to verse 13. Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. As a young leader, Paul wants to remind Timothy where his authority comes from. His authority comes from the scriptures. The, the habit of, of the church from the beginning was very simple. Read the scripture when gathered together. And, and after that, Timothy was to do two things, to exhort and to teach. And these are central to the health of the church, that people are being presented with what the Bible says, and then they are being exhorted in that and taught what it means. It's the role of the church leaders to turn people's attention to the scriptures so that they can dig in and they can, they can see for themselves what it says. That's what it means to exhort and to teach. Similar to his, his command earlier, which was to command and to teach. The teaching has to do with the content and, and Christians need to be trained and, and, and know what to believe and understand the right doctrines and be taught good theology. Uh, but they also need it to be commanded. They need to be exhorted to live it, to behave accordingly. That's the difference between preaching and teaching. Teaching, again, has the aim on the transfer of knowledge, whereas preaching has its aim, the transformation of behavior. Verse 14, he tells Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul reminds Timothy that God has called him and gifted him for this ministry. I think, I think it's good, it was good for Timothy and it's good for all leaders in the church to be reminded that they are placed in a position of leadership within the church, not by man, but by God. And if God calls you to it, he's going to gift you for it. He's going to give you the ability to do the things that, that he calls you to do. And we also see here that the elders confirmed this calling. We often talk in ministry about internal and external calling. Specifically, when we're talking about people called to pastoral ministry, we ask them if we ask questions to see if they have both internal and external calling. The internal calling is the desire, it's that desire to be in pastoral ministry, it's the desire to preach and teach. It's the, the desire to shepherd the flock. That's the internal calling. Do you want to do this ministry? Do you want to be in this position? But it's not enough to have an internal calling. That's a, a hard thing to say. Because I think there are a lot of people who have the desire, that internal calling but they don't have what we refer to as the external calling, which is confirmation from the leaders within the church around you, the leaders in the church that you're a part of, that God has indeed gifted you and called you to that. And boy, that's, that's a tough thing to say. Who, who, you know, I, I, who are we to say whether or not God has called somebody? Well, according to the scriptures, that's exactly our place. That 
that calling must be confirmed externally. I got to be honest, and, and this, I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way or, or to seem harsh, but I've seen some guys in ministry that I don't think are called by God to be in pastoral ministry. I think there are churches being led by men whom God has not called into that position. And I don't know how they all got there, but I know how some of them have got there because I've witnessed it. I mean, I went through Bible college with guys that I don't think were called. And, I, and I'm not saying that I alone <laughs> have the ability to discern that, but I'm saying the church has the responsibility and the ability to discern that. And, and sometimes we're too quick. Hey, if somebody says they want to do that, then let's just, let's just tell them to go do that. Instead, instead we're to, to test and to see if that is something that God has called them to and gifted them for. I remember when I was 17 years old, I'd, I'd been a Christian year, just over a year, a little over a year, and I felt God calling me. I just, I just started to have this strong desire. I was, I was going into my senior year in, in high school, and I, you know, the whole, all the questions, what do you want to do, and all that, and I was, I always liked math, uh, did okay in math and science. I was like, I guess I'll go for engineering. I don't know, just do something that kind of lines up with where I've done okay in school. But there was really no passion for that. And I had actually applied to and got accepted into college for that. And that was just the track that I was on. And then I started waking up thinking, man, I think, I think God's calling me to ministry. And I used to watch, it's, it's funny now, I, I look back and, think about all the bad theology that was there. But I used to watch TV preachers all the time, and I, I loved preaching. I mean, I loved preaching from the moment I got saved. I went to church. I went, when I got saved, I started going to a, a traditional church, and the music was atrocious, especially for a teenager. In fact, I remember, you know, I was, I was about 16 years old at the time. This was the church where all the teenagers sat in the back. And I was like, well, I guess we sit in the back. So I went up to the balcony, and I remember this one girl looking at me and going, what are you doing here? And I was like, I don't know. And I went down, I went down and I sat with the old people, you know. And, and, and I remember just enduring the music so that I could be there when the preacher got up. And I loved it. I just loved to hear a pastor get up and just unpack the scriptures and help me understand what God was saying through the scriptures. But I didn't, I didn't think of that as anything more than what it was at the time. But about a year later, I really, I wanted to do that. And I got involved in, in the youth ministry at the other church that I started going to where everybody sat down front and... Um, I started expressing that desire to the leaders there. And they gave me some opportunities to do that. And then, and then they started giving me feedback like, hey, you know, supportive feedback. Feedback confirming that call. And, and eventually, you know, that conversation happened with my senior pastor. And I really wanted to know if he felt like I was called to this. And, and that's what I mean by that external calling. Do the, do the leaders within the church that God has appointed there confirm that calling? And do they see the gifting to, to lead? And I've never thought I existed on earth since then to do anything else. I've just known, I, I feel very fortunate because I've just known for the last 20 years that this is what God created me to do. And I hope that he's gifted me to do that. And you can, you can write on your connect card, you know, you can grade me <laughs> for something if you want. Maybe, maybe I've just missed it for the last 20 years and I go find something else to do. But that's what we're talking, you know, Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Now, we don't know a lot about this event, but apparently there was an event where the elders of the church, the council of the elders, and that's the other thing to note here, is that within the church, there's a council of elders. And we believe here at Harvest, that's the, the biblical model for church leadership, that it's not the deacons or, or not some other council made up of other people, but it's the elders that are called to lead the church. There was some event where the council of elders gathered around Timothy, laid hands on him, and there was, there was prophecy and there was the, the giving of a gift. The Holy Spirit gave Timothy the gift. God chooses his leaders. 
And he doesn't always look at the things that we look at in other people. God chooses his leaders. He calls them into ministry. He gifts them for ministry. And then the elders of the church confirm that calling and that gifting into ministry. I think that's the way it should happen. I think if it doesn't happen in that way, that's a recipe for trouble. We want men to lead who are called by God, gifted by God, and confirmed by the leaders within the church that this is their calling. All right, let's look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Paul now turns from the mandate to teach and exhort and focuses on Timothy's personal life. He is supposed to immerse himself in the teachings of the Bible, in the teachings of the apostles. He is also supposed to do them, to practice them. He is not a professor. He is not, some, he's not just a teacher. He is a practitioner of what he is learning. He is called to know the word and live the word. Timothy's not to be like the Pharisees who were really good at instructing other people what to do but never lifted a finger themselves to do what the scriptures commanded. Nobody needs that in a leader. In fact, that's not a leader. The church definitely doesn't need that in a leader. What we need is men who know the word and live the word. What we need are men who practice these things, who actually immerse themselves in them so that all may see our progress. Paul would say in his next letter to Timothy, well, the next letter we have, 2 Timothy, he would say in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do you see both the the importance of, of good and proper theology for Timothy to have the right information, the right knowledge, the right understanding of the word, but also the right behavior, Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Pastors and leaders must continually challenge themselves in this. We must look in the mirror. But so must you. So must you look in the mirror of God's word and say, do I know the word and am I living the word? Am I taking what I'm hearing on, on the weekends and am I applying it to my life and to my behavior? That's not just what leaders are called to. That's, that's what everybody's called to. In fact, that's one of the things I love about preaching, though. I feel like I've, I, 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 I sometimes have an advantage because I, preaching causes the, the preacher to dig into the word and to think about application and to be, ch- I don't ever want to preach a sermon that hasn't, tra- I don't ever want to preach a passage that hasn't transformed me first. There's nothing worse than, than a, a preacher who gets up to tell you something he's read when it hasn't changed his life, when it hasn't impacted him internally. If he has good mechanics, he may be able to fake it, and you may not even know. But one thing's for sure, when a preacher has been changed by the word that he's preaching, you'll know it. I hope that every time I preach, people think to themselves, boy, he really believes that. That's my goal. I want, I want, peop- I want people to see my progress. I want people to see that the word of God is changing me and hopefully be inspired and encouraged to let it change you to let it change the way you think and the way you live and the way you do life. And, and preachers, most of all, need to keep challenging themselves to grow. You don't want a preacher who becomes stagnant. I remember going to a conference one time, and, and since then the Lord has, has corrected my mentality because, look, everybody just goes through seasons where it's, you're just spiritually dry or, or you're just, things just aren't clicking for whatever. Everybody goes through seasons like that. Your pastors go through seasons like that. Preachers go through seasons like that. Internationally known uh, leaders in the church all go through that. But I remember, I remember being at a conference one time and hearing the preacher get up 
And he says, I just got to be honest with you guys. I'm really not feeling it today. I'm really, uh, uh, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm just kind of in a dry season. I remember thinking, well, then, then sit down. <laughs> Let somebody else get up. Because I want, I want somebody up there who's been changed, who's been transformed, who's excited about what they've seen in God's word, and who wants to motivate me to let the word of God change me. But God used that to help me through some times <laughs> when I was struggling to know that I'm not the only one, that that's normal, that you're going to have that even as a leader, even if you get invited to speak at a conference, you, you might show up that day and just be in the middle of a dry season. Sometimes that happens. But if that's the norm for your preacher, you, you need a new one. You need a guy who's challenging himself, who's digging into the word. That old saying is true. You cannot lead where you have not gone. And so, so leaders in the church must be stretching themselves and growing and pursuing, going on in Christ. Let's keep moving. Verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. You understand there must not be a disconnect between these two things. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Those two, those two things have to go hand in hand for, for all pastors and church leaders and for all Christians in your own personal life. Is, is the che- teaching you're, you're receiving, is the teaching that you're ingesting and digesting <laughs> biblical? Is it in accord with all of Scripture? Is it good, healthy doctrine? Keep, keep a close watch on that. Keep a close watch on whether or not you're receiving good teaching. Hold it up to the light of Scripture and say, is this what the Bible really says? And keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Paul had told Timothy to watch out for false teachers and to correct them. But now he's telling Timothy to look in that mirror, to make sure that he's keeping a close watch, not only on what his people are being taught. And boy, that's something that's tricky today. I mean, I think, I think there were plenty of avenues for false teaching and bad doctrine to get into the church 2,000 years ago, but there's a whole lot more avenues for that kind of teaching to get in the church today because we've got the internet and we've got television and we've got books and we've got all kinds of, and we think about that as, as the leaders of this church. What are our people learning? What are they hearing? Is it true? Is it good doctrine? Is it healthy? And, and so occasionally you'll hear one of the pastors get up and, and warn and, and, and perhaps sometimes a little bit harshly even that you need to be really careful what you're listening to on TV and on the internet and the books that you're reading. And that's done out of love. That's done out of a desire to keep a close watch on the teaching. But, but he tells Timothy to keep a close watch on himself. And then he says, persist. I love that. Persist in this. For, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Continue in this. Stay the course. This is the path of salvation for both yourself and your hearers, he tells Timothy. That's fantastic, isn't it? Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Which reminds us, salvation's a bit of a process, isn't it? I mean, there are things that happen at the moment of salvation. Justification, regeneration. Those things happen immediately. But then there's this process of sanctification, which is part of, of salvation as a whole. Part of your salvation is that you continue on and that you grow in your sanctification. Part of your salvation is that you persist, that you persevere, that you go on. And sometimes we overemphasize the, the one-time events that happen immediately at salvation And we neglect the teaching of the need to persist, the need to keep on, the need to keep growing, and to to enter into that process of sanctification where we keep growing in Christ. Salvation is a bit of a process, and we must stay engaged all throughout our lives in that process. 
So let's look at some implications of this text. If you have, have your map out from earlier, we're going to get back to some of the things that you see there on your map. Number one, churches should expect, develop, make room for, and receive young leaders. We should expect, develop, make room for, and receive young leaders. You know, we, we sort of live in a society that puts off adulthood, don't we? We live in this world that allows young people to stay a little too young, a little too long. In some cases, a lot too young, a lot too long. But we live in the society that puts off manhood and, and, and womanhood and adulthood in general and says, just, just stay young, just stay immature and just enjoy that part of your life. Well, we shouldn't do that in the church. We should promote maturity, even at a young age. We should be encouraging people to grow up into maturity. And part of that is that we expect, develop, make room for, and receive young leaders in the church. I hear, I still hear this today. Look, I've, this May will be 15 years I've been here. I still show up to do a funeral or to do a wedding or do something outside of harvest. And I hear, I hear the same thing. You look too young to be a pastor. <laughs> you should have seen me 15 years ago. <laughs> How old do you have to be to be a pastor for crying out loud? You, you know, and, and I can honestly say, I was, I, look, I was 22 years old when I first stepped into this pulpit and preached. And a lot has changed and, 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 and I've grown in a lot of ways. But I, I honestly think God used me then just like he uses me now. Because it's not, it wasn't ever me. It was his word and his spirit working through me. And God can do that through a 22-year-old just like he can do that through a 52-year-old. I look back at some of my old sermons and there's some things that, that are in there that I'm just like, I can't believe I did that and, and I said that and I'm, I'm embarrassed by some of it. But when I look at what was being taught, it was the word of God. Sometimes I come across something that I wrote 15 years ago, and I go, oh, man, I didn't even know I knew that. <laughs> I should know that again. <laughs> I wish I knew that now. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm amazed. But it was, it was, it's just the word of God, right? It should be that way. I've done over 60 weddings. The success rate hasn't changed all that much from when I did them when I was 22 to now at 37, I've done, I think, more than 40 funerals, and the success rate definitely hasn't changed for those. <laughs> those guys, they're all still dead, all still in the ground. I don't, nothing's really changed. I, a lot has changed, but at the same time, nothing's really changed. The point I'm trying to make is that we need to embrace young leaders in the church, keep them accountable, help them grow and develop and under, understand there are going to be certain things that, there, that are immaturities in their lives, but we need to embrace them and receive them. And we need to let God work through them in our lives. If somebody who's, I mean, some of, to some of you, I'm, I'm very young, obviously. And, but if a 22-year-old got up here, how many of you would be going, this isn't going to be any good? What's he got to say that's going to teach me? And if that's your attitude, I want to encourage you to, to think about what you're saying. If God has called and gifted that person into ministry, then we need to receive ministry from them and say, God, teach me. Teach me through this young man. And so we need to give people those, those opportunities. Let me keep moving here for the sake of time. Number two, the word of God is the leader's authority. Timothy's authority, that, this first point kind of leads right into this one, doesn't it? Timothy's authority does not come from, but from his office of elder. Rather, it comes from his ability to handle the word of God correctly and to live the word of God correctly. His authority is the word of God. In a sense, pastors aren't different than anybody else. We don't have authority as, as men. Our authority is the Bible, and you should follow our authority to the degree by which we are teaching you what the Bible says. It's a very dangerous thing to follow a man beyond the word of God. And that happens sometimes. I think, you know, I've been, I've been watching, I watched 
this uh, documentary thing on David Koresh and the whole Waco, Texas thing. And then I see this one, I don't know if it already aired, but coming up maybe uh, on A&E about Jim Jones. And I think these guys were gifted men. They were so gifted, they got people to commit suicide. They got, and forgive me for being kind of crude here, but they, they convinced other men to give them their wives so they could impregnate them. You don't do that unless you're a gifted leader. We must be very careful that we're not just following the giftedness of a man, but we are following a man who is under the authority of Scripture and leading out of that authority. Never beyond that. Don't ever follow somebody beyond what Scripture teaches. And there's some, there's some, those lines can get blurred. That scares me sometimes to think that, that it's possible to manipulate the authority that God gives pastors in his word to get people to do things he's not calling them to do. And God forbid that that should ever happen here. And God forbid that, that any of you would ever follow someone beyond what the word of God says. And I know that's kind of a lot to bring up and, and I can't unpack all of that but I just want to make that point that the word of God is the leader's authority. And that's in part why it didn't really matter that Timothy was a young man. Because he was leading out of the authority that God had given. And that authority was his word. Let me keep moving. Number three. Preaching must maintain a prominent place in the regular life of the church. There always seem to be some people in the church trying to get rid of preaching. And, and many times I suspect that is nothing short of the work of the enemy. I think Satan hates the truth and the authority of God's word being proclaimed through men whom God has called and gifted. I think he absolutely hates that. And ask any preacher and any pastor about the spiritual battles that sometimes precede stepping into this pulpit. It's crazy. Satan hates when the word and the truth of God is proclaimed through men that God has called and gifted for ministry. We must value the preaching of God's word and give it honor and prominence in our services. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go quickly. Number four, believing the right stuff is not sufficient for living a Christian life. This is, this is something that we... We have to understand that we preach, we preach a gospel that says salvation is by grace alone, that you cannot earn salvation through works, that it is given by God as a gift. That's our strength, but that can also be our weakness at times because the, the, the error in all of that would be to think, that, well, then I have to do nothing. And it could, you could present a pretty good case that if you do nothing, then you have not been saved. In fact, James attempts to make that case in, in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, where he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What good do you think dead faith is? Not very good in my estimation. He says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's not saying that we're made righteous by our works. He's saying that if you're born of God, it will show in how you live your life. You will respond to having the Holy Spirit within you by loving and obeying the word of God. You'll want to both know the word and live the word. Like one preacher said, we are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. We are saved by faith alone, but not a faith that is alone. And so here's what I want to say today in response to all of that. It's time to believe the gospel. The gospel is the message that we, every last one of us, have sinned against God. But God, out of his love for us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place on a cross, taking our sin and the punishment for that sin upon himself so that he could forgive us and give us eternal life. And that salvation is not earned. 
It is received through grace and by faith. And if you believe that gospel, the good news, if you know the word and believe it, it's time to live the word. It's time to do both. Let me, let me end with the words of Jesus himself. He says, this is in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is the difference between the life that is crushed under the difficulties of life and the one that stands? The answer is that one heard the word and did nothing and the other heard the word and lived it. Know the word, live the word. So what about you? Have you received Christ today? Do you believe the gospel? Or is perhaps today the day you want to do that? Today you want to you want to receive the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. You want to receive his forgiveness and his mercy. Well, the Bible tells you to obey, and to obey is to repent. It's to turn from your sin, to ask for his forgiveness, to ask him to save you, and then live the words of Jesus. Live the word of God. Open your Bible, read it, understand it, know it, and apply it, and live it. Or maybe you've already received Christ. Maybe you received Christ a long time ago, but you've done very little to live the word. And week in and week out, you hear the word, you know the word, you could get up here and teach the word. You understand the Bible, but you're not living it. I want to call you to change. I want to call you to respond in obedience, to know the word, live the word. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.